want to begin by reading from Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple, the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were, excuse me, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Lord, be our teacher this morning as we meditate on your word. Change us by the power of your spirit. All of this we ask in Jesus' strong name. Amen. I think many of you know this, but uh, when I graduated from college uh, many years ago now, uh, I, uh, I did a youth internship here at University Presbyterian Church. That's largely how I ended up in Seattle. I had done a couple of summer internships, one in Yakima, uh, another here in Seattle at UPC, and then uh, after I graduated, I did a, a year-long internship. And there was this principle that I learned in youth ministry that most of the youth, most of what you did, most of the ministry that happened, happened as you were going. It happened uh, when you were just on your way to a park, when you had an errand to run. The the encouragement that I received from the pastors I worked with was just grab students, take them with you. Doesn't matter what you're doing, just take them with you and. The real work of youth ministry happens as you're going, right? as you're on your way to something. That's where the questions come up. That's where the, the, the conversations happen. Uh, the same was told to me about dating. Uh, and I did not have a lot of experience of dating. In fact, none in high school, a little bit in college. But that was the... I, so I, I uh, came of age uh, when people were kissing, dating goodbye. And so there was like a lot of weight around dating, right? And so in order to counteract some of the, the weight, the encouragement was just, you're making a target run, right? Like you need a toothbrush, ask someone to go with you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, to try to lessen the, the weight of it. Like that, that's how dating happened too. It happened on your way, as you were going. <laughs> there will be no comments from the front row on the dating. <laughs> Those of us who are parents know that most of parenting happens on the way, right? You, you, there may be a, a few rare occasions where you sit your kids down for a big talk, but most of the work of parenting happens on your way, right? You're in the car and a question comes up and it's a, um, what parents and teachers call a teachable moment, right? Like you're not going to sit your kid down and have a conversation about not sticking things up their nose, that's a conversation you have on the way to the emergency room. (laughs) 
or in the back seat. Yeah, anyways, we've had that conversation. Um, this, is, uh, this is one of the great principles, I think, of the Christian life, of our life of faith, is that so much of our formation as disciples and so much of our joining God on his mission in the world happens on the way. It happens as we're living our lives, right? This is why we think it's valuable to spend time talking about our work, what, what, where did, what it is that we do with our days, where we spend the bulk of our time. And, and whenever we talk about our work, I really, I always want to remind us that's a, a broad definition of work, right? For some of us, it's a nine-to-five job where we uh, receive a paycheck. For others of us, it's just it's those places where we offer our gifts. Uh, think of it more in terms of contribution than compensation. But... Wherever it is, however it is that we're spending our days, these are the the places where we are being formed as a disciple of Jesus. And these are the places where we are joining God on his mission. And really, this is a gift to us. Um, the, The gift is that it doesn't require a whole extra set of commitments or events on our calendar in order to faithfully be a disciple of Jesus, in order to faithfully join God in his mission in the world. It's not a whole set of extra events. But what it does require of us, though, is intentionality in our day-to-day lives. It requires us or or invites us to pay attention, to have eyes to see the opportunities in front of us, to have ears to hear the real needs that people are expressing, the need behind the need. I think that's what we see here with Peter and John, right? They are on their way to the temple to pray. And just a a quick side note about prayer. Um, It seems in the book of Acts that it's in the midst of prayer or on the way to prayer where everything happens. (laughs) The disciples are always praying, and they're always praying together. And that's something that I I think I want to highlight for us as we walk through this book this fall is just how much the early church was committed to praying together. And I think that as we continue to grow as a church, as we continue to grow in our faith, that that's something that we're going to continue to need to be called to, to continued prayer together. You'll, you, it's, it, there's, there's not much that's taught on prayer in Acts. It just is happening all the time together. So as Peter and John were on their, on their way to the temple to pray, um, they were paying attention, right? They could have just uh, kept on going by. Uh, in fact, that's probably what most people did to this man who had sit, who was crippled from birth. Uh, later in, in Acts uh, 4, we find out that he's 40 years old. He's been, this has been his life, and he's been brought to this gate near the temple for probably the bulk of his life to ask for money. Most people probably pass him by. But Peter and John stop and pay attention to him. And uh, the man only looked at them when they stop and directly addressed him, which gives us this sense that his, his eyes were kind of downcast and that he was not used to sort of engaging people and um, looking them in the eye. And Peter and John stop. They look at him. They pay attention to him. And they say, look at us. Uh, if we're honest, I think giving money is easier than giving attention. Right? It... it is the thing that's being asked for, and if we have extra, we can give some, and then we can move along, and we can get to where we were going, right? We were on the way somewhere. We can head there quickly. I think stopping, paying attention, giving attention to another human being, um, 
actually might cost us more sometimes than just giving money. Now, the point of this passage is not to not give money, if you can follow the double negative there. right? Clearly, the Bible teaches that those of us who have, uh, part of our responsibility with what we have is to give. Uh, just the previous paragraph before this, at the end of Acts chapter 2, we see that the early Christian church had a radical view of their resources. And they really viewed what they had, not as their own, but as the Lord's that had been given to them, entrusted to them, to steward, to be generous with. People were selling fields that they owned and giving it to those that had need. It was a, a radical picture of uh, a radical view of money. So the point is not don't give money, but... Peter and John were following in the footsteps of their rabbi, Jesus, their teacher. And they were able to see, as Jesus so often was, the need behind the need, the question behind the question. Sure, if you give this man money, perhaps he's able to eat food for the day, and that is, that is noble. And again, the lesson here is not don't give money to people, but... Peter and John see something deeper. They see an opportunity here that this is not just someone who needs money, but this is someone who needs Jesus. This is someone who needs their relationship with God restored. This is someone whose body needs to be healed. And in that healing, this is someone who needs to be restored to their community, right? Remember, this is a culture that when you would see someone who had been crippled or deformed in some way from birth, the question that rose to people's minds was, well, who sinned? Was it this person or was it their parents? Right? Clearly, somebody did something wrong here because clearly this is an expression of God's displeasure with, the purpose, with, uh, with this person. Well, Jesus flips that on his head. And Peter and John, as Jesus' disciples, also understand that that's not what's going on. This man is a child of God. This man has gifts to offer the world. And this man needs Jesus, needs the restoration of his soul, of his community, and of his body. And Jesus can do that. And in fact, Jesus is the only one who can do that. I found myself thinking this week, do I really believe that Jesus is more valuable and more powerful than money? And if that's the question that you leave this morning mulling over, good. That's, that's a question that I think is one to contemplate and to really ask, looking at all the different areas of our lives, do we really believe that Jesus is more valuable and more powerful than money? Do we, believe, do we truly believe that the greatest need that the world has is to be connected to God through Jesus and the power of the Spirit? And do we believe that the greatest resource that we have is Jesus. And the ability to be so bold as to offer healing in his name. So Peter and John are on their way. They're on their way to pay attention to God in prayer, but they're also, as they are going, paying attention to those around them, not being distracted and recognizing that they themselves have the most valuable thing in the world in the person of Jesus Christ. As they encounter this broken man, they say, this is what you need. 
I know you're expecting money, but this is what you really need. And then his reaction is just amazing, right? Going into the temple courts, walking and jumping. Um, uh, our daughter, Amelia, she, she's incapable of just walking anywhere. She either gallops, skips, or leaps. We were, um, we were helping to clean up some bark at the school the other day, and this is her motion. She had a, a little shovel that she was scooping the bark back onto the playground with, and every time she scooped, the back foot would just <laughs> kick out like that, and it was that's amazing. Uh, that, that's, that's the freedom, that childlike freedom is what I imagine this man felt for the first time in his life. Amazing. It's a miracle, right? Um, and if you're like me, miracles like that seem uh, rare in my experience. And, uh, and yet, I firmly believe that the same spirit that these disciples received in the upper room is the same spirit that you and I have. And the same power that Peter and John employed in the healing of this man is the, is the power that you and I have as followers of Jesus. We talked about this in the first sermon in the book of Acts, but Acts was written by Luke. So he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts. And they're really meant to be kind of a singular volume devoted to the work of Jesus, right? We, the beginning of Acts talks about um, how this is, this is Luke describing what Jesus began to do began to do and teach. And the inference there is that Jesus is still doing and teaching. It's just that his, it's his church, empowered by the Spirit, that is doing his work in the world. So we're, we're going to walk through Luke and Acts kind of in the reverse order. And I think we'll appreciate how that works out. Um, but uh, if we had read Luke prior to coming to Acts, this encounter would have reminded us of something that happened in Luke 5. Jesus is teaching in a house, and it's packed, as it often was when Jesus was teaching. And there are some guys who bring a buddy of theirs who's paralyzed on a mat up to Jesus, and there's no way for them to get into the house, so they go to the roof because they're creative and persistent. (laughs) And bummer for the roof, they cut through it and lower their friend right in front of Jesus. And Jesus, acknowledging their faith, right, acknowledging their belief, says, your sins are forgiven. Maybe not the thing that people expected to hear, but a powerful thing to say. And the Pharisees are mad. I mean, they are pissed off. Because no one can forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus knows this. He knows their hearts. And he says, well, which is easier to say, right? It's easy to say your sins are forgiven. There's not any sort of immediate physical uh, evidence of that. Or is it easier to say, get up and walk? He turns to the man and says that, get up and walk. And the man gets up, picks up his mat, and walks. And in the Gospels, when Jesus performs a miracle like this, when he heals someone, uh, first of all, it's a genuine act of kindness towards those on the margins, towards those who are broken. But it's also a sign. It's meant to point to something deeper, something more true and more powerful, even than a miraculous physical healing. And that is that Jesus, as God's son, can forgive sins, is the only one who is able to restore our relationship to our creator. So Peter and John, they remember this. They remember this encounter that Jesus had early in his ministry. And then they encounter this man, and they think, oh, we, 
we think we might have some sense about how Jesus might handle this. They're also just a couple of months removed from the amazing event of the resurrection. And this event, the, the Jesus conquering death and rising from the dead, shapes the disciples' boldness as they go out into the world. Up until this point, we have encountered the church kind of huddled together, um, encouraging each other, receiving the Spirit, um, growing as, a, um, you know, as Randy talked about, the, with the hot flames, right? Coming together, um, the, the flames growing brighter as the community grows closer together. Um, but from this point on in the book of Acts, we start to see how the early church bumps into the world around it. And we'll look more at that um, this, this next week. But the resurrection, being utterly convinced that Jesus conquered death and rose from the grave, gives the disciples such boldness as they in- interact with uh, those around them, as they interact with their neighbors. Boldness even to say, in Jesus' name, stand up and walk. And behind that single little line in Jesus' name is a whole host of things that they are saying, right? What they're saying to this man is the one who made you knows you. And more than that, he loves you. More than that, he died for you to forgive your sins, conquer death, so that you can live life with hope. And even now, he's Lord over everything so that we can ask with authority that you would be healed, not by our own power, but by his power. And it happens. I think the reality of the resurrection and the way that that emboldened the early church is something that continues to boggle my imagination and forces me to ask this question. Do I really believe in the power of the resurrection? that that's not simply a story we tell, but that it actually happened, and that because it actually happened, that means something for me. That means that, that my life, my life story does not end in death, and that even now, that power that raised Jesus from the dead can be at work in our own lives and in our communities. Whenever we read the Bible, we, we never read it... Um, in isolation. We, we read it in the midst of the stuff of our own lives. We read it in the midst of the headlines and the news. We read it in the midst of stories in our friends' lives. And that happened for me this week, too. Uh, it, there was a, a lot of news that happened this week. <laughs> and uh, uh, with the, the, um, the inquiry into sexual assault charges and the accusations and the denials... And I was asking myself, I was actually asking Summer and I as we were, we were driving home one day, I was like, what does the resurrection have to do with all this? This resurrection that motivated the early church and, and filled them with, with such power to be such bold witnesses, what, what does that have to do with this? And, and the answer, of course, is everything. <laughs> um, that, that the resurrection places our stories in a bigger story and in a story that ends in hope. It ends in healing. It ends in life, not death. And that this healing offered in Jesus' name is this foretaste of the ultimate healing that will happen in our, in our own resurrection. When Jesus returns, 
So I was reflecting that this healing that we see, uh, uh, one instance of here in the book of Acts, this is available. I really believe this is available for us. And I, I, have, I will confess that I am, uh, I am weak in my experience of this kind of healing. But I, I want to ask for it more regularly. I want to ask for it with the kind of boldness and anticipation that these disciples did. And I want to believe that this healing is available not only for those who have been abused, for those who are victims, but that this healing is also available for those who are doing the abusing. That part of this healing is a changed heart so that one day we don't need new beginnings because, because people's hearts have been changed and they've been turned towards each other. They've been turned towards neighbor instead of turned in on themselves. This is one of those passages that... Um, I think, depending on our own stories, we're probably more inclined to see ourselves in uh, either Peter and John or perhaps in the man who was healed. Uh, And my hope for us is that we can see ourselves in both, or at least the potential for ourselves in both of these sets of characters. Right? That, That wherever we are, whatever we're doing, as we are going, that we are witnesses to the incredible truth of the resurrection of Jesus and the boldness that that gives us through the Spirit. As we are going, you and I are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. But also, that whoever you are, whatever has happened to you, Jesus can bring healing into your life. I believe that with all my heart. So be bold and be healed. We're going to take some time this morning. Uh, we, we do this every now and then, though it's been a little while. To um, we're, we're going to come to the table as we do every morning. But there's going to be some elders. Summer's going to be available um, for, for prayer. And if there's anything in your life or for someone that you know in your life that you would like to join with one of our elders in prayer for, um, come forward and ask for prayer. Uh, there's a, another wonderful part in, in the book of Luke where Jesus is teaching on prayer. And the teaching is simply this. Ask. Ask, and you will receive. I don't claim to understand all the nuances of how prayer works, but I know that that's the first step. And so as we come to the tables, we come to communion. Um, feel free to receive communion. Uh, and then if you would like to, to wait or to come up... Um, There's going to be folks available for for prayer. So, I want to read the passage again as our preparation to come to the Lord's table this morning. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, about three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his full attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as that same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him.